starting at verse 1. Then some elders of Israel came to me and sat down before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, Any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will be brought to give him an answer to the manner in view of the multitude of his idols in order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through all their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from your abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the immigrants who stay in Israel who separates himself from me, sets up his idols in his heart, puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity, and then comes to the prophet to inquire of me for himself, I, the Lord, will be brought to answer him in my own person." I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from among my people so that you will know that I am the Lord. But if the prophet has prevailed upon to speak a word, it is I, the Lord, who have prevailed upon that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. They will bear the punishment of their iniquity as the iniquity of the inquirer is, so the iniquity of the prophet will be, in order that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me and no longer defile themselves with all their transgressions. Thus they will be my people, and I shall be their God, declares the Lord. Good morning. Well, we're neck deep in this series on Ezekiel. I was talking to Malanga before the service. He said, what are you you guys going through these days? I said, Ezekiel. I said, Ezekiel. He said, I've never heard of someone doing that. I said, neither have I. But it has been okay, actually. It's been great to walk through this book together. And uh, we're in a section of Ezekiel, and we're spending three weeks in this section where we're talking about the issue of idolatry. And we started that last week, and I started, you know, trying to, how do we unearth some of the the idols of our own hearts? Uh, Last week, we saw how God led Ezekiel through this guided tour of the temple and all the idolatry that was going on there. And so I asked the question, I wonder if, if God were to take a guided tour of our hearts and of our community, what, what idols would he find lurking there? And I just wanted, by way of review, to remind you, um, I talked about the idols in our own lives um, that we go to, uh, where we go to find our significance, where we go to find our security, where we go to find our satisfaction instead of God. Often these are, these are good things, um, but we end up going to them instead of God, and when we do, uh, they can become, these good things can become idols in our lives. And I gave you some homework last week. You remember your homework assignment? All right. The homework was, oh, oh, I want to give you some examples of, of some idols. Sorry. Um, I'm just going to throw up a bunch of, these, are, these can be good things that, um, that we cling to. Uh, standard of living. You ever heard of that one? Um, this push, especially in Orange County, to make it to a certain 
place in life, to have a certain home in a certain neighborhood, to have a certain kind of car or a second home or a certain ease of life, a certain amount of money stored away somewhere. This can become an idol. If you ever wonder what Dave Gunlock thinks is the main idol of our age, I want to be really clear, this is the one that I think. This is the thing that I think is absolutely crushing the spiritual lives of Christians in Orange County, okay? You can talk to me more about that some other time. Sometimes it's good just to be clear, this is my vote for the the biggest idol we face in, in our time and age. All right, that's another sermon series. Uh, but uh, achievement can become this thing that I, I my own accomplishments. Uh, food itself can become an idol, as some of you are well aware. Um, human approval, this need to have people like me and to praise me, can become an idol. Um, there can be spiritual idols. How about doctrinal rightness? Okay, it's really good to have right doctrine, but this can become a source of pride. This can be the thing I think puts me in good standing with God instead of the cross of Christ. My ability to to have good doctrine, okay? So sometimes these can be spiritual idols. Uh, What else did I put up here? Uh, (laughs) um, My use of uh, social media can become an absolute idol. Uh, My physical appearance and how good it needs to be. Not an idol for myself, clearly. Uh, My children can be an idol, Uh, Some gift that I have that I cling to for my identity can be an idol. Uh, What else do I have up here? Um, My favorite sports team can become an idol. It gets in the way of my relationship with God. Okay, All these these good things that can become ultimate things. So here was my assignment for you last week. And I'm so excited because I know some of you actually did this. Because I've talked to you and emailed with you. And it's been really fun to hear what has come up for you. But I, I encourage you just to think about your emotions. Your most positive emotions. Your most negative emotions throughout the day. When was I most excited, happy, proud, or pleased this week? And does that maybe tell me something about some of the idols that lurk underneath the surface? And then what were the negative emotions? When was I most anxious or angry this week? And and what might that surface in me? So I will jump out and and give you my answer to my own homework assignment. Okay, I'm going to answer the second question. Um, Here's two things that came up for me this week. One won't surprise you, one may. So anxiety is the emotion I I experienced. There was an anxiety and restlessness at two different places throughout the week. The first one was uh, there was a friend that was was asking me to do something uh, with them that I was thinking about and praying over whether I should do it. And I was coming to the conclusion, you know, I I don't don't think this is, I'm not going to do this. I don't think I want to do this. But having to have the conversation of saying no to this person created a lot of anxiety in me, and I postponed the conversation. I put it off, and and what was underneath that is, of course, this 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 desire for approval, this desire for people to like me, this desire uh, to be praised. And saying no felt like that was going to tap into that that desire to be liked, and so it, it raised anxiety. So human approval is is one of my big. Idols, as many of you know, it's, it's horrible when human approval is your idol, and you have to, you know, speak in front of three hundred people every every week. This is a horrible setup. It's not good. Um, God's sense of humor. Uh, the other one was, I think, a little uglier. And uh, I'm going to keep it kind of vague, but I I was ex- exposed to the success of one of my friends, acquaintance, some someone that I, I found was doing really well at something. Okay. And what I felt was not joy for my friend. It put me, I felt restless about my own life. 
I wouldn't even say I felt jealous, but it, it stirred in me this restlessness and this question, what am I doing with my life? And, 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 and am, I, am I doing something that's as significant or as good as what that person is doing? So I couldn't celebrate my friend's success. Instead, it, it set me in this anxious, restless kind of, how can I do better at what I'm supposed to be? How can my life be more extraordinary than it is? And I think for me, a, a achievement and, and ex- I want to be special. I want to be extraordinary. And there's, there's an idol there. I want to find my identity in, in being extraordinary. And watching someone else's extraordinariness tapped into the restlessness I feel about my ordinary life. All right? A little ugly, I think. So um, hopefully you were able to do that and maybe unearth a few of the idols uh, that lurk inside your own heart through your own emotions. Now, I want to say something. Some of you asked me this this week. Um, just because you experience joy uh, and, and excitement doesn't mean there's an idol lurking underneath there, right? <laughs> just because you experience anger doesn't mean that there's an idol. Sometimes they're very legitimate expressions of anger or joy. And so today I want to try to get inside of, well, when is there an idol there and where's that just a great thing? You know, the fact that I sat down with my family this week, we had a great dinner and good conversation. I was so filled up with joy. Doesn't mean that my family is my idol, right? That could just be a beautiful, a beautiful thing that God gave me that week. So how do we kind of tease out in our own hearts when things are becoming idols and when they're just good gifts that God has given us? That's what I want to focus in on this morning. And we have uh, Ezekiel 14 to do that this morning. So let's look at the passage. We're not going to spend a ton of time in the passage today, but I want to give you a a quick overview of the passage and then drill in on a couple verses that I think are at the heart of this passage. So just a quick overview. You, you heard Arlene just read, read the story. But the context, of course, is Ezekiel is in exile. He's living in his house, his tent, whatever he lives in, in exile. And at regular times, some of the other exiled uh, Jewish elders are coming to inquire of him. They know he's a prophet. So they'll come by every once in a while and say, you know, what's, what's Yahweh telling you today? And so they've come by again to inquire, what is Yahweh, the God of Israel? What is Yahweh saying to you? That's in verse 1. And in verse 2, God reveals to Ezekiel something about these men. And it's this. These elders that are coming to you, you know, their hearts are full of idols. Okay? They have divided loyalties. They, they say they're coming to inquire of me, but they, they don't really want to worship me. They don't want to serve me. They're just trying to figure out what's going to happen next. They want to know. They want to be comfortable. They want to be safe. They want to know what's going to happen. And so they'll come to me, but they're going to go to other gods too. They're hedging their bets, essentially. Okay? Their hearts are divided, and, and, and he reveals that to Ezekiel. The, the key idea, um, and this will kind of shape what I want to say, is what's going on? God is saying, I am not their goal. I, the, God, the living God, I am not the goal. They just want comfort. They want answers, and they're just going to me to get what they want, and they'll go to other gods to get what they want. They're, they're going to go to whatever they can to get the things that they want. And the, the real issue here is not just that there's idols, but in the midst of their idolatry, they're actually presuming to be able to come to God and think God will give us answers even though our hearts are completely divided. And that God does not like that situation. Hearts full of idols, but they're still going to God and, and kind of pretending that he's their one true God. And so God has a response in this passage, uh, and it's pretty straightforward. He, he basically says to Ezekiel, I'm going to deal really straightforwardly with, this me- with, with these men. Uh, look at the end of verse 4. 
I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. That doesn't sound too good. Uh, Verse 8, take a look at verse 8. I will set my face against that man and make him an example and a byword. I will cut him off from my people. Okay? So he's going to deal very pretty straightforward and severely with these men. I'm going to cut these men off. Um, I'm going to respond in such a way that will be obvious about how I feel about their situation. His ultimate goal is not judgment here. His ultimate goal is for the sake of, of all the people. Okay? If you look at verse 8 again, he says, I'm going to make an example of this person. So he's basically saying, I'm going to take these elders and I'm going to make an example of them, but I'm going to do that for the sake of all the Israelites. Look at verse 5. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Look at verse 11, the end of the the passage. Then the people of Israel will no longer stray from me, nor will they defile themselves anymore with all their sins. They will be my people, and I will be their God, declares the sovereign Lord. So I'm going to make an example of these people, and everyone is going to see it, and they'll go, oh my goodness, idolatry is a really serious thing, so that they might turn and repent, so they might recapture their hearts, so that they might be my people and I might be their God. All right, so any of you teachers, this is kind of like the first day of class strategy. You know, there's some kid that's acting out and you're like, I'm going to make an example of this kid in this moment for the sake of the class so that everyone would know that I'm serious so that this might be a good learning environment. That's essentially what God is doing here. Or I was thinking of uh, the story in the New Testament of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that one in the early church, right? Where they had this idolatry in their hearts and they, they sold a house and they brought only part of the proceeds to God and pretended like they brought the whole thing. And God dealt with them very severely. He struck them dead. But the purpose was, as he was starting this new church community, to show them, I really care about the purity of your hearts before me. And so that's what you see God doing. I'm going to make an example of these men, but it is for the sake of of the purity of the entire group. And so the call to Israel in this, in this chapter is verse 6. Take a look at verse 6. This is the response that he wants people to have. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. That's what I want for my people, repentance and turning from their idols. All right, so that just kind of a, get a sense of, of what is going on in this passage. And I want to zero in on this phrase that I think really gets at the, at the key issue here. And this phrase is actually repeated three times in these 11 verses. I don't know if you picked it up, but take a look at verse 3. Son of man, here's the phrase, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Here, see it again in verse 4. Therefore speak to them, tell them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face. Again, look at verse 7. When any Israelite or any alien living in Israel separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face. Okay? So obviously these two phrases that keep coming up, the first one is this, you're setting up idols in your hearts. 
God is saying, the, the issue is not so much these, these pillars that you erect to idols, these, these carvings, these images, these little figurines of idols. We talked about some of those last week. But he's saying that external outward thing, that's not the issue. The issue is you've actually set up these idols in your hearts. The word I'm going to use today is your hearts have, have become attached. You have, you have uh, there's an attachment that you have to these things deep within your hearts. I'm supposed to be the one that you have set up in your heart. But instead, you have set up these idols and you've set them up within your hearts. And then the second phrase is, this will be a little bit more confusing probably, you have put a wicked stumbling block before your faces. He's saying, in setting up these idols within your heart, these idols have become a stumbling block to you. Now, I don't know if you know what a stumbling block is. Uh, there actually is, there were literal stu- stumbling blocks back in that day. A stumbling block is exactly what it sounds like. Okay? You can picture yourself walking on road and it'd be some sort of block or, or stone that could actually get in the way as you're walking somewhere that would cause you to stumble. You guys are quick. Cause you to stumble, fall. Leviticus 19.14 actually talks about a literal stumbling block. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, which would be a really nasty thing to do, right? Literally, don't put something in front of something that's going to cause them to stumble. And of course, it takes on a metaphorical meaning, meaning something that causes you to stumble morally, right? Something that, that would get in the way of you walking with God in life. It causes you to fall, causes you to slip up. It prevents you from living the way God wants you to. And, and that's what Ezekiel is saying is these idols that you set in your heart, they are becoming stumbling blocks. They're causing you to fall morally. They're, they're getting in the way of your relationship with the Lord. The attachment that you've, you've given to these things is causing you to trip up and, and, and lose sight of who God is. So what I want to do for the rest of the time is I want to sit with these phrases. And I want to, again, get real kind of uh, personal, down and dirty here, just real practical. And, and ask the question, where do we do this today? What are the things that we set up as idols in our hearts? And what are these things that then become ways that, that keep us from, from experiencing God, that keep us from living the life that God would want for us? And you know what's so this this series is so interesting because in Ezekiel you've got these like actual physical idols that these people were pursuing these statues, but we were talking as a staff this week. For us, it's not like we go out searching for idols in life, right? You don't go out looking for them. We kind of fall into our idolatry. It kind of just starts happening, and, and if we're not mindful what's happening. It just sort of happens. And all of a sudden, these things have been set up in our hearts that we never intended to let them. And these stumbling blocks are all all around us that we weren't, it's not like we deliberately went out searching for some substitute to God. (laughs) It just sort sort of happens. So how does this happen? I want to talk through this today. And um, I want to use um, some thoughts from Ignatius. And Ignatius is a 16th century Spanish priest, Okay. And he had some thoughts about idolatry that really connect with, I think, those phrases and and some thoughts about how how we get attached to certain things and how that can either be helpful or harmful. So I want to use some of his thoughts as a way to to kind of think through our own lives today, all right? So he had this thing called the first principle and foundation. He had these basic principles, and I've dumbed it down for people like myself, okay? So I'm going to give you four basic principles that he articulates that I think are just very biblical and, and 
uh, hopefully will be fairly self-explanatory. All right. Are you ready for this? Okay, so we're going back to college for a couple minutes. It's going to be fun. Um, this will be online if you like to take notes. This will, you can find this online um, if you don't want to take notes. Right? Principle one, the human person is created to enjoy and serve God. Okay? Duh. Right? But let's stop there for a second. He's saying God himself is the goal of our lives. God is the best treasure. We were created for God. That's why we're created, for relationship with him. He is our ultimate goal. Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I think that's very biblical. Our, the purpose for which we're created is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. St. Augustine says it this way, Lord, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Okay? God himself is the goal of every human being's life. That's why we were created, to enjoy him and to serve him. To set him up within our hearts as the ultimate treasure of the universe. Okay? Principle one. Principle two. All other things on the face of the earth are created by God for human beings in order to help them pursue the end for which they are created. What's the end for which we're created? God, right? God. Everything that God has created are, it was created to help us live out the end that we're created for, to help us enjoy God. All the created things that he gives to us are ways through which we can actually enjoy God. And there are ways through which we can serve God. So anything, right? Food, uh, family, my job, my health, you name it, nature itself. These are all created as means by which I can enjoy and experience God as a, as a material created creature, physical creature, living in a physical universe. I actually get to enjoy God through these things. And these become avenues by which I get to serve God. They're not the goal of my life. God's the goal of my life, but they are means by which I can enjoy him and serve him. So let's just take food, for instance, okay? When I sit down to a good meal, the meal's not the goal, God's the goal, but I can actually enjoy God's provision through eating a really good meal, right? As I'm eating a good steak, drinking a good glass of wine, I'm experiencing the grace of God coming to me through the resources that he's given me to sustain me and nourish me, right? Or how about my work? My work is this context that God has given me. Work is not the goal. God is the goal. But work is, a, is an avenue by which I get to serve him. I get to use my gifts. I get to use my energies to try to bring goodness into his world, to create value in his world. It becomes a means by which I serve God through my work. Okay? Make sense? They're not the goal, but they're ways we get to experience the goal. Principle number three, it follows from this that one must use other created things insofar as they help towards one's end, towards God, and free oneself from them insofar as they are obstacles <laughs> to one's end. To do this, we need to cultivate what Ignatius calls an active indifference to God's created things. Okay? So these things can help serve God, but they can actually become obstacles to serving God. They can become stumbling blocks, actually, to serving God. And so we need to create what he calls an active indifference. And, and he talks about ordered attachments and disordered attachments. And let me just talk through this. So an ordered attachment means I am attached to this created thing in the way that God wants me to be attached, okay? 
I enjoy it. I receive it as God's gift. I hold loosely to it, but I get to experience him through it. I get to serve him with it. That's an ordered attachment. That's the way God wants me to carry the creative things he's given me. A disordered attachment is, of course, when I ask this thing to be my God. I'm asking of this thing more than God ever intended for. I'm, I'm clinging to it. I'm holding tightly to it. I need it. And it becomes now not a way that I experience God. It actually becomes an obstacle to experiencing God. I don't experience God through it. I go to this thing to find my security, my significance, and satisfaction instead of God. And I don't serve God through this thing. This, this thing keeps me from serving God. That's what happens uh, when I set these, this creative thing up as an idol in my heart. It becomes actually a stumbling block to my goal. Um, stepping away for a second. A.W. Tozer has this great um, book called Pursuing God, and I love this quote. He says, Before the Lord God made man upon the earth, he first prepared for him a world of useful and pleasant things for his sustenance and delight. They were made for man's use, but they were meant always to be external to the man and subservient to him. In the deep heart of the man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. Within him was God, without a thousand gifts which God had showered upon him. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things, created things, have taken over. Men have now by nature no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. That makes sense what he's saying? Yeah? It's time of these ordered and disordered attachments to things. So that's principle number three. The key is creating this active indifference, this ordered attachment. And then the final one, this is radical, if you really think about this. I'm not going to spend much time talking about this one, but this. He says, this is, his, this is Ignatius's conclusion. Thus, we should not want health more than illness, wealth more than poverty, fame more than disgrace, etc. We should desire and choose only what helps us more towards the end for which we are created. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if God's my goal, then whatever's going to deepen God's life in me is what I want. Whatever's going to help me serve my God, enjoy him more, get to know him more, that's what I want. And sometimes that might be health, but sometimes that might be sickness. Sometimes that might be wealth. Sometimes that might be poverty. I think of Paul who says, I have learned the secret of being content in all things and plenty and in want. So that's the conclusion that he reaches. All right, so let's, um, let's talk this out a little bit, okay? Is this making sense? Yeah, is this getting boring or is this interesting? Okay, okay, good. I was hoping you said um, I need your approval so badly. Okay. <laughs> So here's my, here's my visual of, of what we're talking about here. So here's me, here's God, right? And here's what uh, Ignatius calls a thing, <laughs> created thing, any created thing. It could be food, it could be my Facebook account, it could be my marriage, it could be my sense of humor, uh, it could be my job, anything. So when I have an ordered attachment to, to this thing, what, what I'm saying is these things can become... And in order to, they can become windows or doorways to my relationship with God, meaning they become things through which I experience God. My marriage can become the source of, I experience God through the love of my wife. I experience this meal through the love of my wife. I, I experience this church. I experience God through, did I say that right? I, wow, that came out real wrong. 
I experienced this meal through the love of my wife. Yeah, there's some Freudian slip in there somehow. Um, I experienced God through my wife, through my kids, right? So these things become windows through which God's grace comes to us, his provision, his goodness comes to us. And they become contexts in which we can serve God. My health is a context in which I serve God. My job becomes a context in which I serve God, right? All right, in a disordered attachment, what, should, what God intends as a window, as a doorway to him, becomes, of course, uh, a stumbling block, okay? It actually gets in the way because instead of, uh, experiencing God through this thing, I'm now going to this thing for my significance, my security, my satisfaction. So I'm just experiencing the delight of this thing. Money, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, my achievement, that's the thing that's giving me a sense of security or satisfaction. Not God through that thing, but just that thing. And rather than serving God, I start serving this thing. I start needing more of it. I start craving it. My focus uh, gets on that thing. So to my point at the beginning of the sermon, that's where you, you can discover whether joy, is this a good joy that I'm experiencing or is this a bad joy? Well, the question is, are you experiencing in your joy, do you experience God through this thing or are you just really excited about this thing and that has nothing to do with God? All right? So ordered attachments, disordered attachments. And, and the goal in all of this is freedom. <laughs> the goal is freedom to pursue the end for which you are created. Interior freedom from letting these things grab a certain kind of hold of us so that we actually experience them as God intended. All right, so let me, let me just give you... I have no idea what slide's coming next. It makes me nervous. Okay. Um, let me just talk through two examples of this, okay? And then, and then we'll wrap up. So two really obvious cultural examples. I want to talk about health and wealth, okay? And let's just run health and wealth through this grid and see how these things can be great blessings from the Lord and these things can become idols, all right? So let's start with uh, health. By health, I'm talking about what a person outside of Orange County experiences when they come into this culture and they go, wow, you guys really care about your health, okay? I'm talking about fitness. I'm talking about diet. I'm talking about the gym. I'm talking about some of the surgical procedures we do to make ourselves look younger than we are. I'm talking about that whole kit and caboodle. Okay, that's what I mean by health. Um, We can have an ordered attachment to health. And what an ordered attachment to health looks like is this. My health, my exercise, my fitness is one of the ways through which I experience God in my life. Okay? When I go for a run, that, that is a way that I experience God. I can commune with him in that time. I'm not talking about myself. I'm just talking theoretically for saying. Um, I, I don't mean to say I do this well. Um, I can experience God through that. When I, when I work out, there's something beautiful about experiencing the, the, the health and the strength that God has given me as someone made in his image, that he has provided this strength and this health, and I can, I can celebrate that, and I can be grateful to him through that. Okay? Uh, and, and, and I've been thinking about this one lately. I actually can experience the parallels between physical training and spiritual training, you know, to, to push my body, to feel the pain of pushing my body and, and to be broken, come to the end. And then, but to see how that builds me up, that's actually a beautiful metaphor for, for the training of, of faith that we, that we have to, you know, work this faith muscle. We find ourselves in these situations that God puts us in that feel, the weight feels too big, and yet he grows us through that. All these great ways to experience God. I, I can't help but think of the chariots of fire line, right? When I run, 
I feel his pleasure. It's this point of connection with God. And my health also provides me with an opportunity to serve God. In fact, that's why I pursue health. Because my health frees me up to be more available to the needs around me. I've got these three kids, and I want to be available to them. And so a strong back helps me to love them well. It helps me to be more attentive and a better instrument in God's hand in his world. It helps me to work well, to think well. The, the, re- the reason I pursue health is so that I might serve God better. Be an instrument in him, okay? There's a, there's a, that's an ordered attachment to health. So what does a disordered attachment uh, to health look like? Well, this becomes a stumbling block. They realize, when I exercise, I am not experiencing God in that. Um, In fact, I don't even associate my fitness with my relationship with God. I go to exercise and health instead of going to God. When I'm stressed, when I'm anxious, I go to the gym and I pump some iron. And that's what makes me feel better, not God. And I, I make no connection between my working out and God. And I... If I'm honest, I don't find my significance in God. I, I find it in, in my physical health and appearance. And you know, I started working out, and people started making comments, and those comments felt really good, and so I kept doing it more and more, and now I feel like I have to do it more and more to kind of continue to gain those comments. And so I realized my significance is actually wrapped up now with how I, my physical health, what it looks like. I feel like I need to keep doing it. And it has not become an opportunity for me to serve God. I don't think about my health as an opportunity, just the opposite. It actually is an obstacle to serving God. I used to read the Bible in the morning. Now I go to the gym every morning. It's the first thing I do for an hour. And, and my quiet time is gone. It's gone. And, and there's all this focus on um, exactly what I'm eating. And you know, if I'm doing this right, and if I'm honest, that actually has not been a way through which I serve God. That has become uh, a a competitor to God. Time that I used to spend thinking about God is now going to thinking about my health. Make sense, the difference? You know, it's an interesting question just to ask ourselves the simple question, why do I work out? Um, That's an interesting question. Why do I work out? And, And to be honest about what are the different answers? And there's some great answers in that, and there's some maybe not good answers in that. And of course, what we discover in all of this is what can be an idol for one person can be a wonderful thing for another person, right? Depending on how our heart's attached. All right, one more, and then I'll wrap it up. And I do have another assignment for you this week, so you're going to have to pay attention. Let's talk about wealth. I already told you I think this is kind of an issue in our culture. Um, So I'm talking about standard of living. I'm talking about possessions. I'm talking about financial security. I'm talking about the whole package there. Let's talk about what wealth looks like as an ordered attachment. Well, first, this is my wealth, my possessions, are a means by which I experience God's grace in my life. When I come into my home, I'm grateful for it. I I look at the space that God has provided, and I see it as an example of his provision to me. When I step into my yard, I thank God for it. I regularly find myself grateful for the things that he's given me. And, and the, the resources I have to do the things that I, I do, I, I experience a lot of gratitude to God for all these things. They really are ways that I experience his goodness to me. And we would say my wealth, I see it as this, this great opportunity to serve God. I'm very generous with the things I have. This home that I have, um, I, I love bringing people over and, and, and creating community 
around my home. The money that God has given me, I love being able to give that out to organizations and to people who need it. I, I, I see wealth as, a, as an amazing opportunity to do kingdom work in the world, internationally, locally. All right? That's an ordered attachment to wealth. Of course, a disordered attachment would be something like this. I, I honestly, if I'm honest, I don't, I don't experience God through my wealth. In fact, if I look back at my life, the wealthier I've gotten, the less satisfied I have become. Um, what used to bring me joy, a new pair of you know, shoes or whatever, uh, I don't find that joy anymore. And, and I don't even think of the connection between God's provision and this thing. I, I just think of wanting more of these things. And so I've lost that connection with God. My satisfaction has decreased over time with these things, and my experience of God in them has certainly de- decreased. And if, if I'm honest, these have actually become barriers to experiencing God in my life. Um, this is what occupies my mind. How can, I, how can I work a particular job so I can get a particular house in a particular community or so that I can have a particular amount of money saved up so that the second half of my life will be easier? If I'm honest, that's what drives me, not loving and serving God. And if I look back, honestly, I have regret. I lost some of the best years of my life with my kids because I thought if I work hard in these years, I can store up and the, the last 20 years will be easy. And I look back at that with regret. It did not help me experience God. It actually got in the way of experiencing God. I'm not uh, generous with it. I, I cling to it. And, and I feel like I need it to feel secure, to, to be satisfied in life. If I'm honest, I look at this whole pursuit and it has been a stumbling block to my relationship with God. It has not been a great window into my relationship with God. If I'm honest, if I step back, I feel just like the third soil on that parable of the soil that Jesus tells, where the word of God, you know, is planted in a soil and it grows up, but then these thorns and these, these, you know, these thorns come in and they choke it out. And if I'm honest, that's my life. I believe in God. I know he's there, but, but a flourishing spiritual life has been choked out by this pursuit I have of making it according to how Orange County defines what making it is. If I'm honest, my spiritual life is small. It has been choked out. Ordered versus disordered attachment. And the goal in all of this is freedom. (laughs) Remember, here's the goal. The human person is created to enjoy and serve God. That's what we're made for. And so the goal is, how can I be freed up for that goal with whatever created things God has put in my life? How can I set him up in my heart as God, not these other things? All right. So I know that's a lot to take in. I gave you an assignment last week. I want to give you a different assignment this week. Last week, we were just kind of exploring what are some of the idols of my life. As I think about my emotions throughout the week, what might that tell me about some of my idols? Here's my challenge to you this week. Now pick one, okay? Pick one thing that you think, I probably have a disordered attachment to this thing. It might be social media. It might be your kids. It might be wealth. It might be whatever, okay? It could be just about anything. Pick one of them and just walk with your attachment to that throughout the week and ask yourself these questions. Two questions. How is my attachment to this 
How is it helping me to experience God and serve him more fully? And again, we're not even changing our lives yet. We're just noticing what's there. If I'm honest, how does my attachment to this thing, how is that helping me experience God? How is it helping me serve God? And conversely, how is my attachment to this hindering me from experiencing God? How's it getting in the way of experiencing God? How is it hindering me from serving him more fully? Okay, so I love social media. I go home, I spend two hours on my Facebook account each night. This week, don't change how much you go on Facebook. Ask the question, how is this helping me experience God? How is this helping me to serve him? How is it hindering me? And what we'll find in this is there are some things that we're not going to get out of our lives. We just need to change how we carry them, right? Like my kids. I'm not going to get rid of my kids, even if they're an idol, okay? But I might need to work on how do I carry these little potential idols? There might be other things that we say, this thing just has to go, okay? My porn addiction, okay? My, my compulsive gambling habit. I'm not going to ask, how is this thing helping me experience God? This thing just has to go. And so discerning what that looks like is obviously up to each one of us. But the goal in all of this, again, is freedom. <laughs> the goal is freedom to pursue the one for whom we are made. This is not about sacrifice. This is not about just saying no to things. It's about the freedom to to pursue the goal for which we were created. So why don't you notice this week, where do you have that freedom and where are you bound by an attachment that's keeping you from that? All right, let's pray. Well, Father, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I confess on behalf of all of us that we have restless hearts. We so quickly go to created things to try to solve the problems of our lives rather than going to you. So this week, would you just raise our awareness? Where are those things actually keeping us from the fullness of life that you desire? Help us to see that. And as we do, remind us that you desire to be the one that we set up in our hearts. You desire to be our source of security and significance and satisfaction. And remind us of that. Remind us that you're better than these other things. Not just that they're bad, but they're just dumb because they're not as good as you. Show us that you're better. We need you to reveal. We can't convince ourselves that you're better. Reveal that you truly are superior. You're better than anything else we might cling to. That is to say, free us, Lord. Free us from our idols that we might serve the one and only living God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.